2: 691-2173 or download your free investor's guide now at buylegacygold.com. That's buylegacygold.com. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over 175 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. John is on vacation. I'm here with Deborah Mark, our news presenter. Uh, We are wishing well, Craig Cope. He is the Norco Market and Liquor owner. You may have heard the story, Norco out there in Riverside County. About three in the morning, they wanted to rob him. Four men came, one came into the store with quite the weapon. And uh, Craig was not having it. And he opened fire with a shotgun. And that robber ran screaming, he shot my arm off. We hope to talk to Craig tomorrow because he apparently had a minor heart attack after all this. And uh, people out there are coming to the liquor store to show uh, their appreciation and, of course, to wish him well. So hopefully tomorrow you'll be listening. We'll talk to uh, Craig Cope. Got an update coming up in a few minutes also on the L.A. County Board of Supervisors. One thing did happen. One thing did not happen concerning, and that second thing is the recall of the LA County District Attorney, George Gascon, because the way people are reacting to this Norco liquor store story tells you the frustration that's out there over the criminal justice breakdown that's occurred in the state and certainly in LA County. All right, let's turn our attention to the homeless. We have a brand new case study, which is coming to us from the Pacific Research Institute. And we're gonna be talking now to Wayne Weingarten, Senior Fellow in Business and Economics. And of course, the main thing about it is the housing-first measures that have been pushed for far too long here in California. The state, the county, the city, no matter where you are, most of the people in charge of the money believe all you have to do is get them into housing, get them into a shelter, get them into a motel room. It's a failure. And we'll talk about why that is so. Wayne, welcome to the show
3: thanks so much for having me
2: all right so how did you approach this study tell us what uh, you guys put together here
3: we what we really wanted to see is we've had a couple of uh, of months in home key project home key we have years of data on housing first programs like you just said we wanted to see how how is it working and what we see is we're spending billions of dollars we're spending more and more money and we're actually getting more homeless In in the latest counts, in eight of the 10 cities where we have the largest homeless problems, the population continues to increase. In Los Angeles, it's the epicenter of the problem. Over one-third are still here. We've been doing Housing First for over five years, if not longer, here in L.A. And again, populations keep rising. So what we have in Project Home Key is a very expensive program. It's not addressing the issue. It's not helping people who are homeless. It's not helping the community get a handle on not just the homeless problem, but all the ancillary issues that that follow off on it.
2: Yeah, I I think the approach here from these politicians has always been, oh, you know, they're just like anybody else. They fell on hard luck. Let's just find them some housing. But these people have, a lot of them, have some real problems behind that homeless issue. Because if I've said a million times on this show, Ask yourself, and most people you've known in your life, if you hit on hard times, would you pitch a tent down the street in a park? No. 99% of the people you know would not do that. But there are people that do that because they have problems with alcohol, with drugs, and with mental illness. Did you uh, find that to be true?
3: We've been looking into this problem for years. Uh, My co-author, Kerry Jackson, and I have done several reports. We actually published a, a book with two other gentlemen called No Way Home. And a- absolutely, what you see is a large percentage of the homeless in California suffer from mental illness, suffer from drug addiction, and as opposed to having programs to get people into treatment to try to, to overcome these afflictions, what we're actually doing is we're subsidizing that that behavior. You actually have a right now, because of a court decision, to live on the street. So you're We're actually saying, okay, it's okay to pitch a tent. And then we, we define down the, um, stealing, so you can steal up to $900 to support your drug habit and not be charged with a felony. In fact, it's such a misdemeanor that you don't get charged at all. And so we're enabling a destructive lifestyle, uh, and now we're just reaping the, the, the inevitable consequences.
2: Were you able to see anything directly out of Newsom's Project Home Key? I mean, there was much fanfare he made out of this a couple of years ago when he introduced it during the pandemic. And this was the idea to get the homeless into, like, motel rooms because the motels weren't doing much business during the pandemic. Were you able to see what the results of that were? Did that actually get many of these people into permanent housing? I know you cited the overall homeless numbers are up, which would be an indicator of that. But did anybody take a closer look at where these people ended up that ended up in these hotel rooms?
3: Yes, and, and what we found when we looked at the latest study, we explicitly looked in the Project Home Key. And what you see, whether it's Los Angeles, San Francisco, or anywhere else in the state, uh, perfect example, about one-third maybe, if, if that much, will end up in permanent housing. A large share of what you see is not only is the destructive behavior still occurring in the Project Home Key residences, but people are actually dying of overdoses, so that they're not overcoming what drove the homelessness. That destructive behavior just moved into these uh, uh, these facilities. There's violence that's perpetrated against the, the people who are volunteering there. So you have continued drug use, continued drug overdose deaths, violence. A small percentage get into permanent housing. Others either are back on the streets or still in some sort of temporary kind of revolving door issue. But because we're prioritizing the the housing first, the housing, and not prioritizing the treatment, getting at the root cause that drove kind of in the, or led the people into this situation, we're not actually uh, addressing the problem. We're not reducing the number of homeless. We're just basically subsidizing it. And what's really troubling is we're spending tens of billions of dollars doing this. And we have a very difficult, with the recession that we're facing, we're going to have a very difficult budget environment. So now we've wasted all this money on these ineffective programs that are very expensive, Hundreds of thousands of dollars per room is what we're spending, not permanently solving the problem. So we still have the problem, wasted all the money, and now we're going to have budget problems. So we're not going to have the resources to do what's necessary. We really put ourselves in a very difficult position.
2: Yeah, I don't think they what they did basically with housing first is they took the path of least resistance. You offer somebody housing, all right? They might say no, but chances are they might say yes. But to try to get them into treatment for mental illness. or drug addiction, or alcoholism, something they might even deny that they have wrong with them, they probably just decided that would be too difficult. That's why I think we do need conservatorship laws to be changed. How do you feel about that?
3: Right. I, I agree. Uh, one, one thing I've been advocating is, well, we need to start enforcing our laws. So if, if you're stealing $500 worth of goods, that needs to be a felony. But what we could do is we could use these types of negative interactions, if we call it that, as a means to get somebody into treatment. So if you're homeless and you've stolen, as opposed to being sentenced to jail, sending somebody to a drug, um, drug addiction uh, clinic if that's what their, what, what their affliction is. And then if they can satisfactorily complete the program, expunge their record. Because the idea is to actually help them transition out of this destructive lifestyle. And so if we use homeless courts uh, correctly, if we use different types of positive interactions, day rooms, to try to bring people in and get them to help. And like you said, in some cases, if somebody is mentally you know, dealing with mental illness, if they don't have the ability to make rational decisions, then we're going to need to actually, as a community, do that. Because having that destructive lifestyle where a person with mental illness who could be dangerous to the community, who could be, you know, even if they're not violent, they're, they're uh, you know the drug needles and the, the feces and all the other consequences uh, to the quality of life just can't go on. So we we need to actually make those hard decisions and move people into treatments where we can help where we can help them.
2: Yeah, what we've seen happen over the years, particularly in the last year or so here, and I want to see what your thoughts are on this. they're now uh, putting somebody in a shelter or a motel room is no good anymore. What they want to do here is build this expensive, permanent, what they call supportive housing. So you picture these big complexes they build with apartments, and in there they have mental health counseling, they have job counseling, they have all of these supportive services, but our our approach to that is that's really expensive. I don't know if you're gonna be able to have enough money to do that. And of course, once people realize you're building them something that nice, you're probably just gonna end up with more homeless people coming to California.
3: Yes, no, you, you can't do it. It's unsustainable financially. And so we you need to stop that. We need to we need to go back to the institutionalized model because it's cost effective. It, obviously it needs to be run professionally, it needs to be uh, clean. you know it needs to be a, a good environment, but we need to be able to do this cost effectively if we're going to do this sustainably. spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to build one unit which has a good chance of actually being destroyed uh, by you know people who are just not prepared. Uh, or, or not able to, to, um, to live in a home is not, is not the solution. All
2: right, Dr. Wayne Weingarten, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it.
3: Oh, my pleasure.
2: Uh, he's with the Pacific Research Institute, and he came on the show. He's a senior fellow in business and economics to talk about a new case study he did along with his co-author, Kerry Jackson, about the failure of housing-first policies to deal with homelessness, something we've mentioned on this show for many years. And again, Michael Schellenberger, who ran for governor, knew all about the failure of this idea of housing-first, where you're completely ignoring the, dis- the dysfunction that's behind the homelessness. We've got more coming up here on the John and Ken Show on KFI. More on the homeless next hour. I'll be talking to L.A. City Councilman Joe Buscaino. It was rowdy. It was crazy today. The L.A. City Council voted to prohibit homeless encampments near schools and daycare centers, but they were interrupted. In fact, the whole thing had to be shut down for a while because the homeless activists were there trying to shut the vote down. It was really an overwhelming vote. It was like 11 to 3 in favor of banning the encampments. And of course, Joe has wanted that for a long time, and uh, they, they shut him down. We'll talk to him uh, after the news at 4.30 in about an hour. Coming up after 3.30, blowback in a town in the South Bay of L.A. County where apparently there are plans to build a rather big housing structure in a neighborhood that's not used to that, which could bring a lot of traffic and a lot of other problems. You'll find out where. And we'll talk to one of those who's organizing an effort to stop this large housing project from being built. It comes up all after the news at 3.30. I had given you a heads up yesterday that it was possible that the L.A. County Registrar of Voters was going to inform the L.A. County Board of Supervisors as to whether or not there were enough verified signatures to put the recall of George Gascon, the L.A. County D.A., on the ballot. Well, the letter was sent by the registrar to the board of supervisors telling them when they have their regular Tuesday meeting, that would be today, August 2nd, it's possible that he will give them the results. And he did that as a formality because if it does qualify for the ballot, they need to know that because they have to set the election date within 30 days. So he just wanted to give them a heads up. On the other hand, obviously, if it doesn't qualify for the ballot, they don't do anything. We understand that it was removed from the agenda, which means they're not done with the signature verification process and the recall of George Gascon. So if it's not next week, I think the week after would have to be the end. I think by August 16th or 17th, they pretty much have to be done with the signature verification process. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. What the Board of Supervisors did do today is they voted four to one to put a measure on the November ballot for L.A. County voters to give them the power to remove an elected sheriff from office. Well, not an elected sheriff, the elected sheriff, who right now is Alex Villanueva. Now, it could be a little bit ironic that the day that everybody votes on this measure will be the same day they vote as to whether or not to keep Villanueva as sheriff, It's possible this passes and he loses the election, but I guess they still want that power. Uh, The only no vote was Catherine Barger, who has made it very clear. By the way, she was the only one a couple weeks ago to be against returning the indoor mask mandate to L.A. County. You got one county politician, one out of the five, 20%. On the side of sanity, Sheila Kuehl, who I threw in the dumpster last Friday, was in fine form again. Uh, I don't see the assessor getting people killed. It's really about the ability to hold someone accountable when they have a very powerful position. Well, the sheriff is elected by the people. There's a recall. There's another election. There are ways to remove the sheriff that are done the way we usually do it, through votes. Kuhl, of course, uh, she's talking about the L.A. County assessor. Who is also in an elected office? So that was her little snipe there. That uh, well, he doesn't get people killed. Yeah, Sheriff Inaueva gets people killed. See the mindset of this board of supervisors, right? They're anti-jail. They're closing all the LA County jails down. They they believe in these diversion programs. Remember a couple of weeks ago we had a woman on the air who years ago, when she was a LA County Deputy DA, she got attacked by that man that apparently uses weapons on women, including the former Olympic. Volleyball star who got hit with a weapon. That guy got sent to diversion. They keep doing the same thing over and over again with him. Diversion programs. All right, they don't always work. There were people in our guests said she kind of believed in that program, but not for a serial offender like this guy who has a penchant for hitting women with objects. This is your board of supervisors and the path they want to take us on. It's just as dangerous as the L.A. County D.A. They're on the same track. They're working together. We close down the jails because, you know, the D.A. is not going to send anybody to jail. Uh, the other thing about Sheila Kuehl, you have to know, too. She's really got it in for Sheriff Villanueva because apparently he's got an investigation into an, a board appointed inspector general by the name of Max Huntsman, and into county contracts involving a nonprofit that is run by an oversight panel member. This is this civilian oversight board that's supposed to keep an eye on the sheriff and the idiot voters in L.A. County voted for that a couple of years ago. And they've been feuding with Vienna Waiver for as long as he's been in office, and they keep coming up with ways, so they, they put together some oversight panel of civilians. But anyway, that oversight panel is run by a woman who's associated with Sheila Kuehl, And apparently, if you don't remember the story, that particular nonprofit ran this dopey L.A. County hotline for people that wanted to report that they were sexually assaulted on L.A. County transit. And they got like just a couple of calls a month. It was a lot of money that went out the door. And Villanueva said, we need to take a closer look at that. And that got to Sheila Kuehl. That's why she's pretty bitter. All right. Coming up next. Another local neighborhood battles a large housing construction project, which, believe me, I know the area well. It will look oddly out of place where they want to put it. I'll talk next to my guest on the Johnny Ken Show on KFI. We'll have more at 4.05 on the Norco liquor store owner who defended himself. When a robber came in with quite the weapon, he was ready with his shotgun. And he fired away and he injured the robber who ran out along with his accomplices, ran from the scene. This is an amazing story. And we wish the liquor store owner good health. His name is Craig Cope. He's 80. And apparently he did have some sort of a heart attack after this happened. and is recovering. We're hoping to talk to him tomorrow. But we'll talk about the story and how it represents the frustration of many because people are showing up at the liquor store today to uh, to support. The order. We don't know anything about charges, anyway. But of course, many will say, "Oh, in this gun culture, how dare you use violence?" And uh, I'm sure we're going to hear the usual crowd, like you know, writers with the El Segundo Times, just doing the tisk tisk about this man uh, defending his turf and his store that apparently he has owned for 55 years. So that'll come up at 4:05 on the John and Ken Show. And then we'll be talking to Councilman Joe Buscayeno, It was pretty rowdy today as the L.A. City Council did approve an ordinance to ban homeless encampments within 500 feet of schools and daycares, all of them in L.A. This would be the most restrictive when it comes to those types of properties. But it wasn't without a lot of chaos because the activists showed up and tried to shut the whole thing down. Right. Not representing most of the residents of the city. But, of course, they always get the attention of the politicians. So we'll talk to Joe in about an hour on the John and Ken show. Uh, we heard from a woman by the name of Gail Fortas, who's now coming on the show. The website they put together is called ChillTheBuild.com. A big subject on our show last year and the year before were these bills in Sacramento, which ultimately did pass and were signed by Governor Newsom, allowing the construction of some pretty large housing units In neighborhoods across the state that don't see anything like that happening right now. You probably heard us talk about SB9 and SB10 over the years. Uh, That seems to be connected to this story. Uh, For this one, we're going to go to a neighborhood in Manhattan Beach where apparently they want to build a four-story, 79-unit complex at a busy corner. It's Rosecrans and Highland Avenue in Manhattan Beach. And people, residents of that town have gotten together, organized a group. They have a petition at change.org. And, of course, as I mentioned, a website, chillthebuild.com, to try to battle this construction project. So, Gail, welcome to the John and Ken Show. How are you?
4: I'm good, thank you.
2: Yeah, so explain to people when you found out about this and any more details.
4: Well... The detail I know is it's something that's been brewing for a little more than a year with the city council. We all learned of it. It kind of leaked out at a meeting in, I believe, in March. So that's barely three months ago. And yet it's been brewing in the background. Plans have been going back and forth with the city planning. And uh, our local newspaper, The Beach Reporter, reported it. They went to a council meeting, and then there it was. And then immediately Change.org got a petition going. 3,500 people signed it. And a group of us that live in the El Porto area, which is the most northwest corner of Manhattan Beach and the most congested area of the city, and the main thoroughfare in and out of the city, uh, we got together, and we've decided to take on City Hall.
2: Uh, I happen to know the area well, Rosecrans and Highland. What I know to be there uh, on that particular corner, there's a Mexican restaurant, there's a big parking garage. Where are they putting this this four-story, 79-unit building?
4: You are exactly right. It is Caddy Corner to Poncho's. Literally Caddy Corner to Poncho's is a parking structure owned by the city of Manhattan Beach. And just behind it, like the borderline of that parking structure is what's considered the project area called, you know, Rosecrans Highland backslash uh, Project Verandas. And there's two very small buildings on Rosecrans. The parking lot is literally on Highland. And this property is right behind all of those things.
2: Yeah. And I guess the complaint here is, and I guess the term you guys are using, we enjoy our low profile lifestyle of course in California there's a lot of single family housing this was an effort in Sacramento yeah. to try to crack that and turn neighborhoods that are all single family homes into some large structures being built you do you did Correct. know about these bills going through Sacramento the last couple of years
4: yes we did and those, uh, those rules those rules are being used to the advantage of de- developers there's loopholes that allow them to skirt local zoning these bonus density laws, and then in our instance, uh, the builder was so generous in offering six low-income units to get the benefit of a ministerial nature so that between those two, they can skirt all local zoning, overbuild, not have enough parking, not have a good in and out of the property, you know, without Mm. causing havoc and gridlock here.
2: So uh, where did this get approval from? Was it the, the local government, or how did this work? Do you know?
4: So the builder used the uh, SB 9 and SB 10 and approached the city, and it went to city planning first. And they apparently looked at whatever the rules were. All the boxes, I guess, were checked according to SB 9 and SB 10, those two Senate bills. Right. And uh, from there, uh, several appeals were made by local people here. And the city planning turned it down and said, no, sorry, we're following the rules. This can go forward. So now we're at the city council level. That's a meeting tonight and was a meeting two weeks ago. And then the final meeting, Well, they're gonna make a decision or not to approve it and allow it to go forward is August 17th. So tonight, a bunch of us are going to talk about why it's not a wise move. Tell our city council to please do their job. Um, What we're pushing for now is the importance of a CEQA study, the environmental issues that, you know, it's right next to Chevron treatment plant, an oil refinery that's been there since 1911. There's lots of liquid petroleum under the ground. I mean, they already know there's all sorts of stuff there. And yet. They're allowed to skirt the rules because of the ministerial and the bonus density law. So Yes,
2: somebody needs to follow the money because when we saw these bills marching through Sacramento, we knew it was about the developers. I mean, there's a crowd that just believes whatever it is, just build it because the state needs more housing. So just get it done, whether or not it's low income housing or medium housing or luxury housing, just get it done. But it just benefits the developers to do this. And for the people that live in this area of Manhattan Beach you're describing, it will completely change the look of the neighborhood with this this large four-story thing going up.
4: Yes, it'll change the complexion of the city forever and set a precedent. Other big units can go in everywhere and just keep going. So we need to stop this now. It doesn't make sense for our community it does. It's not healthy, you know, environmentally. It's not good for the city. And we're, we're pro building. We agree. We need building. We need apartments. We need, you know, the diversity is good. That's mm-hmm. what makes the community a great community, but not this from Highland looking up at this thing because the highland is down low and the property slopes up at this point. It's a pretty steep hill yes. uh, where I live and where this is located. is called the sand section. It's actually on a sand dune. So it's up. And if you stand on highland and look up at where 50 feet will be, this four story building. Massive. It's going to be like, uh, yeah. It's gonna yeah like a like skyscraper in New York
2: city. city. Right. I could imagine that. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. So yeah. Now, the city council and city attorney have told you there's nothing they can do. Is that what we're hearing?
4: Well, they, yes, that's what they said. There's nothing they can do. In other words, all the boxes are checked. They're following the state rules. And we've heard from other land use attorneys that is not true. And we're surprised that our council is allowing this to go through and that our assistant city attorney said that. It's like, what attorney says that? Oh, there's nothing we can do. I mean, have you ever heard that come out of an attorney? No. no.
2: Well, all right, Gail, wish you all the luck. Again, for people that want to find out more, it's chillthebuild.com. It's a pretty good website to give you all the information that you need to find out. And again, you've got a petition at change.org as well?
4: All uh, right. Yes, we do.
2: All right, Gail. Good luck. Keep us posted. Let us know what happens next.
4: Thank you, John. Bye-bye.
2: Okay. it was Ken. That's kind of sad, right, Deborah? She called oh, me John. I know. I know. It's okay. She didn't mean it. it people think we're both here. I mean, that's kind of the power of the show, right? People exactly. Are... Uh, anyway. We love uh, you, Ken. That's Gail Fortis. She's a resident of Manhattan Beach. And we knew this was going to happen when Senate Bills 9 and 10 passed, that uh, apparently she was aware of it, and so were probably her neighbors. But a lot of people in California weren't aware of these bills. And they're going to see one day something rather large is being constructed in the neighborhood, multi-family housing. This one in Manhattan Beach is going to be a four-story, 79-unit complex on a pretty busy corner in the northern part of Manhattan Beach. And again, right now with single-family housing, the height limits there are much lower. So this bugger is really going to stand out. More coming up on the John and Ken Show right here on KFI AM 640. Coming up in the next hour, we're going to salute 80-year-old Craig Cope and wish him well. He is the Norco liquor store owner who opened fire on a would-be robber who came into the store very early in the morning Sunday, almost 3 in the morning, Craig was behind the counter, and he looked at his surveillance cameras and saw it didn't look good in the parking lot, what was going on. They pulled up in their SUV, and they were masked, and they had their weapons. And he says, I think I know what's going to happen. So he got his shotgun ready, and he fired away. We'll give you all the details, and we're hoping to talk to him tomorrow. So we were told that he's a Johnny Ken Show listener, and he will talk to us, and we expect it to be tomorrow. Because the follow-up was that apparently he did have a heart problem after all this went down. And had to be taken to the hospital, but supposedly is recovering. So we'll give you all of this coming up in the uh, 4 o'clock hour. Also a taste of uh, this. Uh, This was part of the audio from today's L.A. City Council meeting. They voted rather overwhelmingly, I think it was 11 to 3, to ban homeless encampments from within 500 feet of schools and daycare centers in the city of L.A., the activists showed up, tried to shut the whole thing down. I guess they knew which way the vote was going to go, and their only answer was, "Let's just disrupt this so they can't vote." Here's some of the noise. No! No! F you, Nury! Get Get U, Nuri. Get out here.
0: That's a reference
2: to Nuri Martinez. Get out here. Get out here, Nuri. Who are these people? And of course, it's the middle of the day. They can make their way down to the L.A. City Council. These are the people that are blocking any change with our homeless policies. These are the people that whenever they try to clean up a homeless encampment, they shut up, they show up, and they block the police, and they block the people that are there, the sanitation people that are there to clear up the encampment. They want people to continue to live on the streets and die as they do. This is the opposition. Councilman Joe Buscaena will join me. After 430 to talk about this uh, it was also announced this afternoon that as far as L.A. Unified School District is concerned, and I'm not sure that John and Kent show has too many listeners with students in L.A. Unified, but we have a few that they are stepping back from all their COVID-19 safety protocols. As the Times put it that were among the most far reaching in the country that they were crazy and they've resulted in a lot of learning loss for students. So they're going to mirror current county requirements. What does that mean? An end to weekly universal testing for coronavirus. No baseline testing before the August 15th start at school. Every time I see that, I can't believe it because I remember the countdown to school ending in like May or June. It feels like the other day, but we're just a couple of weeks away from school starting again. Uh, masking will be voluntary and a continued deferment of the district's vaccination mandate for students in the system. Their daily pass system will ramp down from its prior use as a campus entry requirement that had to be inspected every day. So they're coming back to normal life, as we all should. And as I've mentioned before, we get the daily report from the L.A. County Health Department It looks like the positive cases and hospitalizations are continuing to slow. Once again, this thing has a two month cycle or so where things ramp up, then they ramp down. But these particular variants are not making people extremely sick. We do not have an overwhelming situation at the hospitals. It should be treated that way. It's kind of hard to believe that that finally got through to Barbara Ferrer in the health department last week when they did not make us go back to indoor masking. And now the LA Unified School District is not going to require daily testing. And for now, the vaccination mandate is going to be deferred and masks are optional. All right, coming up next, we'll talk about the wild story of the day. This Norco liquor store owner who stood his ground When a robber made his way into the store with a weapon in hand, a really menacing-looking weapon, and the store owner, not taking any chances, fired first. John and Ken show, KFI AM640. Deborah Mark has the news now. It's never been more important to diversify your financial portfolio. Well, that's right. The S&P is down 20% from the last year, and this year looks even worse. Gold and precious metals offer a hedge against inflation and stock market volatility and Legacy Precious Metals is the company can and I trust. Protect your retirement account by rolling it into a gold IRA or have metal shipped directly to your door. Call our friends at Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-691-2173
0: or visit buylegacygold.com. Let me just run this by my lawyer. Is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years.